glad y'all are here. Welcome to Redeemer. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt Howell, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I especially want to welcome you to Redeemer. If this is your first time, if you're just checking us out, if you're here just visiting, if you are joining us this morning from a place of joy, or if you're coming in from a place of sorrow, if you are here from a uh, place of fullness or a place of emptiness, if you are joining us from a place of belief or unbelief, we're just thankful to have you here with us. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Redeemer is a church, and what that means is we're a community of people, and we are trying to learn how to love God and to love our neighbor. And the way that we choose to go about doing that is we gather together each week so that we can worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in His great love for us. And then we get together throughout the week in small groups and individually over coffee and tea and Pepsi so that we can remind one another of his great love for us. And as we rest in his love and remind one another of his love, we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that we can reflect his great love for uh, our neighbors and our city because we dream of seeing our city flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So that's kind of who we are in a nutshell. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor as we rest and remind and reflect his love. And in order to help us do that thing, this season of Epiphany, we are looking at this letter from the New Testament called First Peter. And we're trying to answer this question, what does it look like to be the church in a post-Christian culture? And one of the running themes, one of the running uh, images and metaphors through this letter is that the church is described as we're, we're exiles, we're refugees, sojourners. In fact, you even see this in our passage here in verse 17. At the very end of verse 17, he says, refer, he refers to our time of exile. And part of what it means to be exiles here is that this is not our home. We're, we're strange, we're different, we're a little bit out of place. And what I want you to see this morning from this passage is that we're strange because we have strange conduct strange conduct. Now, in order to help um, set this passage up for us, I don't know if you remember, a number of years ago, there were all these BuzzFeed videos where they would show people tasting food from different cultures and different countries. There's tons of these out there. And so, for for example, you'd have Italians trying American sweets, and they would taste like a Twinkie and then give their feedback on it. One of their takes was the taste and the smell don't match. Um, they would try, you know, nerds, the candy nerds, and they would say, this tastes like medicine you give children. And uh, my favorite of all the videos, though, was Americans tasting this d- dish called surströming. I think I'm pronouncing it right. I don't know. Surströming, which is a traditional Swedish dish, which is fish that has been fermenting in a tin can for months. That's surströming, fermented fish in a tin can. And apparently when you open it up, open up the tin can, it's one of the most horrific smells on the planet. And so these Americans, you know, they just crack the top of this can and they're gagging, they're coughing, they're dry heaving in the corner. And here's how they describe just the, ta- just the smell before they've even tasted it. Here's how they describe the smell. One guy says, it smells like fish, baby diaper, cheese, dead body, and regret. (laughs) Another guy says, it smells like a National Park bathroom that somebody dumped a bunch of dog food in. 
And, and when, you, when they start interacting with it, they, it's this brown, soupy mixture and they can, you know, they can't even choke it down. They're gagging their way through this whole video, throwing up in the trash can next to them. Here's why I bring this up. Because I think it's so fascinating that here are these Americans that are trying this delicacy from another country, and they are, they are physically repulsed by it. In our passage this morning, Peter, at the very center of this passage, is this, is this call to be Holy. You see it in verse 15 and 16. Holiness is lifted up in this passage and really throughout the whole Bible as a delicacy. And yet, in our modern context, uh, that word is confusing at best or it is repulsive at worst. I mean, even just think about the word holiness. That word feels too, it feels too churchy. It feels kind of outdated. Uh, it, it feels... Um, uh, you know, we, we don't even use that word really anymore unless we're using it as code for someone who's self-righteous, you know, holier than thou. It's, it's, uh, it's associated with being judgy and smug. And here's what I find um, interesting. I, w- I want to um, ask you this question. If you're honest, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, if you're honest, would you want to be described as holy? Is that a label you would want put on you? Have you ever asked a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? Have they ever answered, I want to be holy? What's fascinating to me is that um, even though this word is really weird and uncomfortable for us, we don't even use this language very much, even in religious circles, this was not strange for Peter. In fact, look at verse 15. He says, be holy in all your conduct. That feels pretty all-encompassing. All your conduct. Holiness is a vision for a whole new way of life. And Peter, um, what Peter wants us to aspire to as a life of holiness, we feel icky about. And I just think that's curious. Why is it that for Peter, this is this thing that is aspirational, and for us it feels strange and weird and icky? It may have to do with the fact that maybe we've lost a sense of what holiness even is. But I think this passage is helpful because I think this passage, in in addition to a lot of things that's going on in this passage, it at least tells you what holiness is and why you should pursue it. So that's what I want to look at with you this morning, what holiness even is and then why we should pursue it. So let's look at that one at a time. What what holiness is? Well, uh, Peter grounds this call to be holy in this Old Testament quote. You see it in verse 16. You see it in quotes there. You shall be holy for I am holy. This is a quote that he ripped right out of the Old Testament from the book of Leviticus, your favorite book of the Old Testament and mine. Um, that little phrase, you should, you, be holy for I am holy, that shows up five different times in that little book of, of Leviticus, which shows you this is a very important concept. What does that word holy mean? In the original language in, in which Leviticus was written Hebrew, that word is the word kadosh, which just literally means to be cut, up, cut apart, set apart, distinct from. Now, that can sound like holiness means we are to be cut off from the rest of the world. Separate yourself and don't associate with those people. So, we, you know, form your little tribe and circle the wagons and form your echo chambers and throw up the walls and throw up the gates and don't associate with them. Maybe that's why the word holiness has this kind of weird, judgy, icky connotation to us. I want you to think about it like this, though. Um, if you've uh, watched, you know, college football any time in the past year or 
two, um, you will know that there's a, a consistent uh, kind of cluster of commercials that Dr. Pepper puts out called Fanville. And one of these commercials is you have this guy who's getting dressed, it's game day, his team is playing, he's, he's digging through all of his clothes and he can't find his lucky game day pants, his special game day pants. These are the pants that he wears every game day to help you know, boost his team's winning percentage. And so his wife comes in and she says, there was a problem at the cleaners, they shrunk your special pants. And so she holds up this pair of bright colored checkered, looks like shorts that would fit like a doll. And he's heartbroken and he's crushed because these are his special game day pants. He has to wear them in order for his team to win. And of course, at the end of the episode, he still puts them on and they look like they're painted on his body. But point being, here's how I want you to think about holiness. Here's how the Bible understands holiness. It's not that this thing is separate from the rest of the other things so that it no longer has to associate with those things. It just means this particular thing is set apart for a special purpose. These pants are distinct from all the other pants because they have a special purpose. You see the same concept at the very beginning of the Bible. In, as God is, you know, the creation story, God creates the world in six days and on the seventh day he rests and he sets that day apart as holy. And he says, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to work for six days and on the seventh day I want you to rest. Doesn't mean that the seventh day is a magical day or that it's better than all the other days. It just means this day has a specific purpose. Work these six days and for this day, Catch your breath, take a nap, rest. So what does it mean for God's people to be called holy? Set apart for what purpose? What is our purpose? Our purpose that we are set apart for is to love God and to love our neighbors. We, we are to demonstrate God's very character to the world, his character of kindness and gentleness and compassion and mercy and justice. That is what we are set apart to do. Now, for whatever reason, um, we don't see holiness as a positive thing, uh, as, as, this, as this life of devotion to God and compassion and love for our neighbor. We see it in terms of the negative, that holiness is about avoiding certain bad things. Holiness is avoiding bad people and bad language and bad movies and bad whatever. And we see it as this negative thing, as, the, as this call to, you know, being perfectly buttoned up and you, you do everything right. And let me just ask you, what is it like to be around somebody that is perfectly buttoned up and follows all the rules and does everything right? Do you know what it's like to be around someone like that? We don't like being around people like that. And you know why? It's because they're, they're not relatable. They're not approachable. We feel like, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells if I'm around you. I feel like I can't relax if I'm around you because if I say something that's wrong or offensive or inappropriate, if I step out of line in some way, I'm afraid I'm going to trigger your disapproval. But let me ask you, is that what holiness is? Is that what it feels like to be around holiness? What does holiness look like in a human person? You know what it would look like in a human being? Look at the life of Jesus. Absolutely holy, perfectly holy, and yet sinners, sufferers, screw-ups flocked to him because he was warm and kind and loving and approachable, and people came to him and felt comfortable around him, not in spite of his holiness, but because of his holiness. This is why at the beginning of your bulletin, I included this great quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, 
in a sense, holiness is a way of describing love. If you think about a life of intentional love, that is a life that is so radically distinct, so set apart from everybody else. That is so weird. In a culture of road rage and doom scrolling and rage porn and cancel culture, a life of intentional love is radically distinct. And this is what God is calling us to, a life of radically weird, set apart, compassion for your neighbor and love for God. Uh, This is why in verse 15, Peter calls us to be holy in all of our conduct. That means every aspect of our being. Be radically different in the way that you relate to money. Be abnormally generous. You could say he's, he's calling us to be really weirdly patient in traffic. He's calling us to be radically different in kindness in the way that we cost, the way that we talk to like customer service agents. He's calling us to be weirdly devoted to God in ways that is strange. This is what this call to be holy is. This is what God wants in us. This is why Peter says in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying you're gonna be tempted to be formed and shaped by other values, the values of being right, the value of being fit, the value of being smart, the value of being at the top. And he says, above all of that, God wants you to be holy. I think it's really strange that as Peter is thinking about how the church engages the culture, what he says that the world most needs from Christians is it needs our holiness. More than our money, more than our best intentions, more than us having our people in positions of power, it needs our holiness. That's what holiness is. Now, you might be thinking, that still sounds very burdensome. It feels like this is, this is, you're setting me up for this lofty ideal that's only gonna discourage me. I mean, I'm not like Mother Teresa over here. Why should you pursue a life of holiness? Why should you try to do this? Well, Peter gives you three reasons, and I wanna walk through these three reasons with you briefly. Three motives that Peter gives us for why you should pursue a life of holiness. Here's the first, because in Jesus you already are. That's the first motive. He's looking at believers in Christ, and he says in verse 14, as obedient children. Now, he assumes if you're a follower of Jesus, you are obedient children. Now, you might hear that and think, he doesn't know me. I'm not, I'm not so obedient one would describe me as an obedient child of God. But here's the point. He's not talking about how well you obey God. He's talking about your status now as someone in Jesus. That is what you are. In fact, he already kind of made the same, the same argument earlier in the chapter. If you look at chapter 1, verse 2, I know it's not printed in your thing, but if you look at it, Um, One of the phrases that he uses there is he says that you have been sanctified of the Spirit. Now, we're going to get nerdy for one second here, but the word sanctify and the word holy are the same exact word in Greek. In English, it sounds like these, these two words have nothing to do with each other. In Greek, same exact word. Sanctify basically just means to holyify. And he's saying in chapter 1, verse 2, in Christ you have already been 
holyified. So, since you are holy, now go be what you are. The best image that I've heard that kind of captures this idea is to imagine a little boy putting on his dad's dress shirt. So it's just, you know, it's way too big for him. It's draping off of him. The, the sleeves are going down to the floor. And he is going to, even though it's covering him, he's going to have to slowly grow up into maturity until that dress shirt fits him. The idea is, is that in Jesus, you have been clothed with the very holiness of Christ. You are in him. You are covered in him. And your calling now is to grow up into this calling of what you have already been declared to be. And you are going to make a billion mistakes all along the way. But the good news of the gospel is that you are always and forever covered as you grow up into this calling and this privilege, which is amazing because God's not calling you to fake it until you make it. This life of holiness is not this calling to make up for something that is lacking in you. He says, this is true of you if you are in Christ. And now you have this high calling and privilege to grow up into it. So that's the first motive. Why you pursue holiness is because you already are. Here's the second. Holiness is not just about who you are. Holiness is more importantly who God is. Number two. Look at um, verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Verse 16. For shall, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy is what it means for God to be God. Okay, we're going we're gonna to nerd out again for just 30 seconds. You may know this. You probably know this. I've talked about this before, but I think it, it's, it's worth repeating. In the Bible, when, when authors of the Bible wanted to emphasize something and to make their point, in our day and age, we use certain writing devices. We bold something. We underline something. The authors of the Bible didn't do that. They would just repeat a word over and over. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 2, when God looks at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he says to them, I don't want you to eat this tree, uh, because in the day that you eat of this, the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. Now, in our translations, it says surely die, but that's not what it says in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it says, the day that you eat of this, you will die, die. And that sounds weird to English ears, and so we translate it to say, you're going to surely die. If you eat this, you're like, really, you're not just going to die, you're really going to it's going to be bad. There's only one word in the Bible that is not repeated twice, but is repeated three times. Only one word. It's the word holy. You see it in Isaiah 6. You see it in Revelation chapter 4. It's the one word used to describe God to say he is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. This is you are getting into the very core of what it means for God to be God. The essence of who God is, is holiness. This is referring to his otherness. He's in a, he's in a class by himself. There, he's, he's the only God that there is. There is none like him. If holiness is what it means for God to be God, then it can't mean a negative thing. It has to be this glorious positive thing. And for us to be holy is a way of us sinking up with the very essence of who God is. A life of holiness is you living in step and in sync and in communion with your creator. That's why we pursue holiness, because God is. Because we are, because God is, and here's the last one. Because we have been ransomed. 
because we've been ransomed. Why should you conduct our, yourself in every part of your life to be holy? Here's why. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile or futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ransom is just this idea of, it's referring to the price of purchasing somebody out of slavery. And the assumption is there is that before we knew Jesus, we were enslaved, we we were imprisoned, we were shackled to a way of life that that Peter says was futile. And that way of life was the the way of self, self self-absorption, self-sufficiency, self-focus, a whole life that is bent in on yourself is a life that is utterly, desperately futile and empty and not satisfying. It reminds me of um, an Eminem lyric In one of his songs, he says that he is, quote, full of myself, but still hungry. You think about that. He's saying, I'm full of myself, and yet still hungry. That's the idea. A life that is devoted to you is just this perpetual, unending need to validate yourself and justify yourself, and there's no end in sight, and there's no satisfaction. And Jesus has purchased us out of a life of futility and slavery with his blood. Not with silver, not with gold, but with his very life. Now, how did he do that? Well, um, in one of the Harry Potter books, I won't say which one, so I don't spoil it for my children or anyone else that hasn't read them in the past 20 years. But in one of the Harry Potter books, at the very end, they, the good guys, you know, Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall, they stumble upon one of the bad guys. And I won't say who the villain is either, but they stumble upon one of, these, one of the villains and they're very perplexed because this villain, they have thought this whole time, has died years ago when he was in prison in Azkaban. And he's, not only is he not dead or in prison, he's sitting right there in front of them. And they can't figure it out, so they give him a little Veritas serum which is a little potion that makes you tell the truth. And the bad guy starts to explain what happened, why it is that he's not in prison and why he's still alive. And he tells this story. He says, when I was in Azkaban, when I was in prison, my parents came and visited me one day. And my mom drank some polyjuice potion, which I I realize, if you're unfamiliar with Harry Potter, you don't know what in the world's happening with this illustration. Bear, bear with me, maybe it'll make sense by the end. So, so, the, so the mom drinks this potion that magically transforms her into the likeness of her son, and the son drinks the same potion which magically transforms him into the likeness of his mom. So they trade places. She goes into the prison disguised as her son, and he goes out of prison into freedom disguised as his mom. And here's how he describes, here's how he says it himself, quote, My mother saved me. She was buried under my name and bearing my appearance. Everyone believed her to be me. Now, why would she do that? Why would she trade places and give up her freedom, her life for him? He was a criminal. He was an Azkaban. You know why she would do it? Because she loves her son. She loves her son so much that she was willing to give up her very freedom, her very life in order to get him out. That's what Jesus does with us. 
at the cross, he trades places with us. He takes on our appearance and so he receives all the penalty and all of the justice and all of the wrath and all of the torture that you and I deserve for our sinfulness and our, and our evil and our ugliness and our lack of willingness to be holy and love God and love our neighbor. He takes it all, he bears it all so that you and I can be freed, liberated out of a life of enslavement to ourselves. Why? Because he loves us. He loves criminals like me those criminals like you. And once you know you have been loved like this, you know what that does to your soul? It like electro shocks your own soul and you get pulled out of your own instincts to only be turned inward and you start to have capacity and a desire for God and other people. Ransomed out of the futility of self into a glorious life of holiness, a life of love and commitment for God and for others. So, why should you pursue holiness? Because in Jesus you already are, because God is, and this is what Jesus has ransomed us to be. May the good news of the gospel liberate you and me this day, this week, to go be who Jesus and God the Father declared us to be. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that this word would become redeemed and reclaimed in our vocabulary. This would not just be seen as some icky, weird church word, but it would be seen as a high and glorious privilege that you've invited us to live into. Help us to grow into this calling through the grace and the love and the ransoming work of Jesus, in whose name we pray.